and welcome to episode 6 of the Robot Dinner Party and Happy Father's Day it's summertime in Michigan that means it's grilling and meat smoking season as well as beach season and uh, going to the beach is pretty much all I've been doing on the weekends lately you know obviously work hard during the week at the beach on the weekend and uh, since I'm white, 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 um, I'm red as a cherry tomato now from uh, not putting sunscreen on the other day. But that's how life goes, as DJ Jazzy Trevor, you know? Um, another new thing for the summer is I shaved the beard. My kid says I look like an alien, and it's true. also look ten years younger, so that's pretty good, but uh, mostly I like how it feels nice and cool and smooth for the summer here. Another cool thing going on right now is that at work, uh, I've got a little bit of a flexible dress code going on. I'm able to wear shorts to work. Uh, that is pretty freaking awesome. On the other hand, when I go to Kung Fu class, it's in an old YWCA gymnasium without air conditioning. You gotta wear a t shirt and pants to class, you know, long legged pants. And even when they open up that door and run the fan, oh man, it is so hot in there. But that's okay. I'm in good spirits. The uh, Grand Rapids Griffins of the American Hockey League won the Calder Cup. Um, Detroit Red Wings, their NHL affiliate, aren't doing so hot lately. But it was kind of cool to see in the NHL Finals, even though the Penguins won in Game 6, that uh, the Nashville Predators made it as far as they did. They've got a weird little stadium down there that looks like it's made of... And just uh, some corrugated sheet metal compared to the concrete structure that was the Joe Louis Arena and the massive uh, new arena that they're building for the Red Wings. But hey, those people down in Nashville, they love their team. I was hoping for a different result for them, but glad that they got it that far. And of course, I'm playing catch-up in a lot of ways on this podcast catching up with everything I've been up to, everything that uh, has been going on at the movies, everything that's been going on in the sports world. So everybody obviously knows by now that the the Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in five games. And with me being a Kevin Durant fan, that was awesome to see him play so well. Obviously, LeBron played well, too. But man, KD sure deserved that MVP in the finals. You know, some people really hated the fact that he jumped ship from the Oklahoma City Thunder and went on over to the Warriors. I think, you know, mostly that's because the Thunder were up 3-1 on the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals last year, ended up blowing that lead. You know, I followed Durant for quite a while. It's always been my position that Westbrook uh, hampers uh, Durant's game the way he's just a total black hole of a ball hog. And, uh, you know, as hard as he goes... You know, at Westbrook, he still makes tons of turnovers at the worst times. And, um, you know, KD just wasn't going to win a title in Oklahoma City because of playing with Westbrook. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that darn near every single person, if you're just in a regular job, you have the opportunity to go to a much better fit for your career, uh, possibly even make more money shine a little better you're gonna take the opportunity to go to that better job and it's no different for people who are in the nba you know he yeah he went to a team that gave him more of a chance of winning a ring at the same time he was the best player on that team he got the finals mvp and uh i would dare say that golden state might not have won 
this year if Kevin Durant wasn't on their team. And obviously that's a little bit difficult to say whether Golden State or Cleveland would have won, you know, since Kevin Durant was on their team. But the Cavs had a lot of fight in them, especially LeBron and Kyrie, and they had some role players stepping up. Um, if Kevin Durant wasn't there to turn the tide in some key situations, it could have been a completely different series. So again, I'm really happy for Kevin Durant. I was really happy that he was able to uh, unlock his god mode. I think he's gotten even a little bit higher ceiling uh, than he showed this year. Hopefully he gets some more rings. Again, nothing to take away from LeBron. And you know, I think this finals is evidence of why the regular season MVP needs to happen after the finals. Take into account everything that happened throughout the entire season. I think Kevin Durant proved himself to be a uh, much more valuable player than either Russell Westbrook or James Harden or anybody else who was in the conversation this year. Is Kevin Durant reaching LeBron's level? I would like to think so, but I think that if I'm completely honest, LeBron's still uh, a little bit ahead on a different level. But right now, not by much. But I think the one thing that doesn't make him head and shoulders above Durant right now is the same reason why I don't think LeBron is going to end up the greatest of all time versus Michael Jordan. And that factor is, you know, LeBron has the, the physical stature and the skills to be head and shoulders above everyone else, including Michael Jordan. But the thing that holds him back is that he he doesn't go all out all the time the way a Michael or a Kobe or uh, some other people we've seen throughout history do. And, you know, some of the factors that I view as making Michael Jordan better than LeBron James are obviously the six rings. LeBron's still got time to get more. Six rings isn't the end-all, be-all. But uh, the way that Michael won them in, uh, you know, three peats in the 90s he was pretty much unstoppable uh michael was more graceful to watch uh, but you can also see him laying down some sick power dunks over some of the best centers of his era he always had the killer instinct and i don't think lebron always has that killer instinct and a little bit of it is uh the personality you know Jordan definitely had a uh, nastier side to him, especially uh, with his teammates in practice and even getting in that famous fight that one time. And The Jordan Rules is a great book. You can read about all that sometime. Um, but despite what went on uh, on the court and in practice with his teammates, he was always able to exude a charisma to the public, both in the press conferences, um, in his commercials, and... Um, you know, that may not have <laughs> been completely uh, genuine, but the public perception uh, that we got of Michael um, was that extra charismatic guy. And LeBron James is a great person. He does so many things for the community, um, and he's been a family man for as you know, long as he's been in the NBA. But he just doesn't exude the same charisma all the time, and sometimes he he just appears to be a little more petty or a little more griping at times, and a lot of that does have to do with the 24-7 news cycle and social media era that we've got going on right now, whereas, you know, who knows how we would have perceived uh, Michael Jordan uh, if the internet and social media were as prevalent in the 90s as they are today, but... You know, a lot of it's just going to come down to personal preference and what generation you grew up in. Um, I think that it's, you know, not a lot that separates LeBron and Jordan. And I, I'm going to leave open the possibility that LeBron could pass him. But uh, for the time being, Jordan's always going to be my all-time uh, favorite. And uh, I think that a lot of people who saw Michael Jordan play in the 90s and 80s and have also seen LeBron play nowadays, would agree. Ultimately, my top five NBA players of all time. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number three, Magic Johnson. Four, Kobe. Five, LeBron. I'll throw in uh, Larry Bird is six and Dr. J is seven. 
Uh, I know that's not a rounding out really, but I uh, just wanted to make sure they got in there. Anyway, moving off of sports, little known fact that hasn't been covered in the media too much, Puerto Rico uh, just voted to become a state, and now that's not going to make it automatically happen that they do become a state. They're going to have to put together a couple senators and uh, you know representatives, however money they have, and uh, send a proposal on up to the uh, U.S. Congress to uh, try to get approval to become a state, and it sounds like it might kind of be unlikely because apparently Puerto Rican voters usually tend to go democratic so with the uh, GOP controlled Congress uh, they might be a little uh, hesitant to uh, want to invite in some more Democrats but we'll see I mean you never know what's going to happen it's my opinion that since uh, Puerto Rico has been a US territory for so long and their citizens have been um, U- US citizens for a hundred years or more I think if they voted uh, to become a state, then um, our government needs to honor that uh, democratic will of the people and let them become the 51st state. But we'll see. Hopefully we get an answer uh, sometime soon. Now, there was also another little blip of news that I don't think got a whole lot of traction. Uh, I was reading that Mark Hamill supposedly initially fundamentally disagreed with every choice that Ryan Johnson made for uh, Luke for the upcoming Star Wars movie, but then eventually came around to the way uh, the director saw uh, Luke's character. Um, You know, Mark Hamill tried to uh, go back and hedge on that and say that, no, 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 it's really a, a good thing, and he wasn't quoted completely in context or something like that, but, man, the way I read that, that's not a very good sign in my opinion but again we're just gonna have to see what the movie is when it comes out but back on that movie ketchup bs i had the opportunity to see some movies recently like baywatch obviously wonder woman um alien covenant and uh took the time to speak again with my friend nick on that let's listen in and play movie ketchup so uh nick you drinking anything tonight I'm drinking the Rebel IPA from Samuel Adams. Thanks for asking. That's awfully patriotic of you. What are you drinking, sir? <laughs> I am I am drinking Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm keep, keeping a gangster. Well, it'd be better if it was cherry, but whatever. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Pour one out for my homie, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Have you ever had Crystal Pepsi? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I especially remember it back in the 90s when it was readily available. And, of course, I had the, the sort of nostalgia trying to remember what it tasted like for a long time. And then last year they had that special release of it, so I got some again. Well, I got one. I got one just recently. I had it in the fridge. I'm not sure if it was just flat, but it tasted a lot like sugar water. And I'm not sure if it's because it's just, like, clear and it just threw me off or, like... You know, it's supposed to taste like a regular dark pop, but I don't know. It was it was weird. Yeah, the original pitch was that it was supposed to taste just like regular Pepsi, but it was clear. It tastes like regular sugar but water. It, 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 it never, yeah, <laughs> it, it never did really taste like the dark Pepsi. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't taste exactly like sugar water to me. It is incredibly sweet, very citrusy too. Well, I recently tried it. Yeah, it's different. It's weird. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason why it went away. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> oh, you know what came back, though? What, Surge? Uh, well, maybe, but I know Zima came back. Oh, man. Remember Zima? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever actually had a Zima. Oh, man, I remember the, the stepdad, after he got done hitting me, he would really go to town on those Zimas. <laughs> 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 Just the whole... The whole coffee table was littered, littered with uh, bottles of Zima. So now that they're bringing it back, thanks. Thanks. Painful memories. <laughs> <laughs> How does this make you feel, Nick? Well, I'm drinking right now. So. <laughs> anyway. This, this explains a lot. Did you know mm. that the inventor of the pineapple pizza died the other day? I don't remember the sad bastard's name at all, but... How do you know this? I saw it on Twitter. It was a trending topic. Mm. <laughs> so it, it shows how edgy my podcast is. <laughs> and a little dice of pineapple. <laughs> so what's that do? Well, it's a pineapple pizza. So, so are, are you... 
Are you team pineapple or anti-pineapple? You know what? I think the most majority of the pizza is salty, and you mix it in with the sweet it's or sugary stuff. It's It throws me. It throws me for a loop, man, and I, I can't do it. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely team pineapple. Well, don't uh, notify the pizza police. <laughs> but I'm... <laughs> Yeah, but of course, they don't, don't put pineapple on the pizza all the time, either. Oh, yeah, and i got to mix it up, right? I'm of the opinion, because, you know, usually they do ham with pineapple or Canadian bacon and pineapple. I tend to prefer more of pepperoni with the pineapple, but, uh, yeah, at any rate. Very risky stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you team pie or team cake? Mmm, cake. Cake? <laughs> I'm glad we have some mutual ground before we get into our debate. <laughs> our debate about beefcakes <laughs> in Baywatch. Baywatch. Did they have the music in the movie, like the original song, like the theme song from like the TV show? I want to say that uh, the, the initial opening credits scene, which was kind of epic, um, I think it was kind of riffing on the original Baywatch theme, but not exactly. But I, I, I liked how right off the bat they made it clear that uh, with the dolphins jumping out of the water and fireworks or something like that, that you know they were conveying that the, <laughs> the producers weren't uh, taking this movie uh, too seriously. I think I also noticed that it was like made by some, some uh, either Chinese or Taiwanese uh, production company, which was interesting. Weird. Yeah. We're taking over, man. But did, did you see it? No, I I had mild interest in it, and then once like the critics started to like tear it apart, I was like, well, I can do something else today. <laughs> so I didn't go. But um, I'm glad that you went for me. <laughs> Oh yeah, I I, I didn't have uh, any expectations other than tongue-in-cheek humor, and uh, that didn't disappoint me. I, th- I think Bill Simmons and The Ringer, those people were expecting some really raunchy movie, which I don't know why anybody would have gotten that impression. That's impression. I mean, that's not what the trailers showed. That's not what the original show was at all. I mean, it, it was you know cheesy. Uh, but, you know, not too risque, and, uh, I don't know, it was just a good time popcorn movie. I'm not gonna lie, I think when I saw the trailers for it, it reminded me, like, they were trying to do the 21 Jump Street-ish stuff to it, so it was like they're just taking a, a cult or pop item, and then, you know, kind of reinvigorating it by making it edgier, harder, like... You know, like 21 Jump Street was a hard R. I thought that they would do that with Baywatch for some reason, but I I don't know why I thought that. I, I don't know. I mean, it was a little bit edgier than the TV show because it f- featured lots of, you know, dick and breast jokes. But, uh, I mean, other than that, it didn't cross too many lines. Um, it was too family-friendly? It wasn't exactly f- <laughs> family-friendly. It, w- it was somewhere between family-friendly and really raunchy, but... You know, for for being... I think it was rated R. And... Yeah, they... They didn't really stray too much into... No boobs? I guess anything... Yeah. Was there any boobs? Only clothed ones. Dude, you're not selling this movie to me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we both saw Wonder Woman. What did you think of that? We did. You didn't see it? I can't recall. I've suddenly come down with Jeff Sessions' brain. (laughs) (laughs) No, I definitely saw... Wait, I've been lassoed by the lasso of truth. I do remember seeing Wonder Woman. (laughs) You're right! (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, I, I saw it a few days ago. Wonder Woman was awesome. I think it's exactly what, uh the DC universe needs right now, just as you predicted it should have been. And, uh, I don't know that I would have necessarily drawn this comparison, uh, myself without reading somebody else's thoughts first, but, um, it did seem almost like a, a modern day Christopher Reeve Superman mm-hmm. type of feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, in context, and I know that 
I've I've heard that bef in the production that, that that there was some rumblings of that, and then I read this story that um, gosh, uh, can, Jeff Johns and Kevin Feige both got together to make, to pay tribute to Richard Donner's um, Superman, you know, the 1978 movie, and what it did for the comic book industry, and it's it's obvious that that movie is <laughs> should be the the formula that most superhero movies should go by, not in the sense because every superhero is different, but I mean how the I mean getting, getting to the heart of what a superhero is really all about, and the humanity of you know that that particular character, and I think that that's exactly what Wonder Woman did, and like I and gosh, it's by a female director, and she's great, and I I think that um, I don't think the movie was perfect, in my I mean my opinion, but I think that it was overall very good superhero film I thought the third act was just kind of forgettable and I thought that the the villain was obvious and you knew exactly what was going to end up happening especially the villain that like with like Ares I mean he's he's like the biggest badass like and he's gone <laughs> you know yeah I I don't know what was going on with Ares there and by the way spoiler alert to Everything in the podcast. No one should ever listen to this expecting <laughs> a real spoiler alert. But I mean, that was my biggest problem with the movie, I and mean, it wasn't a big problem. It's just that the guy who played um, uh, that, that's a spoiler. I mean, you can read in and say Aries, but I think if you reveal who the actor, oh yeah, is, you look up you look you look it up on IMDb. It'll probably say that the. I don't remember the actual actor's name. I know his name. The guy who played Dr. Remus, mm -hmm. uh, or Professor Remus Lupin in Harry Potter. Yep. He's, he's Aries. Like, seriously, a British actor with this big bushy mustache is the god of war? Well, it's uh, weird because if you look at Brian Azzarello's Aries, he looks very similar to that Incarnation. Well, that's probably why the cast. Exactly. I think that the movie was inspired by a few different uh, popular um, takes on Wonder Woman, and especially the. And I, I'm not sure if you read the Azarella, but the Azarella one is my my favorite. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I would say that that movie could be could be better, but I mean, I'm thinking like now, like you know, um, in the future, I, I I just I also hope that they portray Wonder Woman in the Justice League movie and future Wonder Woman movies the same way. I just thought that she was just kind of written off and Batman v Superman just does like, hey, I'm here. Nothing. Yeah, she was sort of robotic in Batman versus Superman. She really and is. a lot more uh, personality uh, and, and development in her solo movie. And yeah, I thought like she was essentially the truth, justice, and the American way, even though she comes from Themyscira. Um, oh, you gotta say something also that's had to add to that before we get off of Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, um, but it was the the accents that they use for Themyscira. I mean, I know it's Greek-derived and they're supposed to sound kind of like that, but it almost seems arbitrary. I mean, because it's a comic book outside of the Greek lore, and I was just kind of joking... And I was just like, hey, does it really matter what accent that they have? You know, or, or like most, like, you know, like epic war films or um, like thinking, thinking 300, for instance, like a lot of them had like kind of a, a British undertone accent. Like it's always there. Yeah, that's what I was, I was about to say is like at least they didn't just pick a generic British accent. The, so many movies and TV shows seem to pick for anything foreign. Oh, foreign or a bad guy? British. Well, yeah. Well, what, what, I mean, it would be funny if they just made the like, Jamaican or something. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and I don't know that I've actually ever heard Gal Gadot speak in her regular voice. I just assumed that hers was derived from her being Israeli. But I don't know. I guess how you pronounce her name is Gal Gadot. Oh, okay. Which I guess she revealed to Jimmy Kimmel or whoever talk show host the other night. She's like, actually, everyone's got it wrong. And I was like, okay. Well, don't I feel like a patriarchal gadolt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? 
No, we're gonna keep calling you Godot. But yeah, did were you clamoring to get into one of those uh, all female showings of the movie? No, I don't understand why people were like that. I think it's how idiotic can you possibly be? You can go to any show. T- I mean, there's so many showings. You can go anywhere, and you're you're gonna have to complain about two or three showings that are just for women. Like, get over it. Yeah, I mean, this is the the first major female superhero movie because 1984's Supergirl doesn't count. Or, well, you're right. <laughs> you know what? That movie, that movie could have been good. I've always had high, I've, I've always thought about that movie and like, in its best, like, in the best light, I guess. I know it's horrible. Yeah, I do too. I I, I own it. I, I bought it on uh, Amazon Video when I, yeah. you know, my daughter was old enough to watch it. She likes it. It's weird because it's like, you, you you know the good things that are in it, and it it just never takes off. But like you, it's yeah. like this is what a movie could be. This movie could be great, and then it's just like oh here, um, I, I don't even know how else to describe it. Um, I can't even think of the actor's name now who played um, Zeldar, who um, had the like the crystal that created um, uh, is it Argo City, so. I can't think of his name right now. He's in Lawrence Arabia. I don't know. Since it was the 80s, we'll just say Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter Fonda, I believe that's... Okay, that's yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah, so him. Yes. We need- but so would you agree that Wonder Woman was the feel-good movie that DC movie universe needed? Oh, yeah. Uh, 100%. I think that... And uh, has you a lot more excited for the Justice League now, at least hopeful? Mm, very little. Very little, sir. We does not forget that Zack Snyder directed most all of Justice League until he had that horrible accident and then uh, Josh Whedon was brought in to um, finish the planned reshoots on the movie. So it's... Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know either. I, I do have some more hope for it. I think primarily because Joss Whedon is involved in some capacity, and I was just reading, you know, they, they, nobody knows exactly how long the reshoots are going to go, and how much money they're going to take up, so, you know, how, how much of the movie are they actually going to revamp, and so, I mean, we have no way of really predicting between Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon's vision how this is going to end up, and I also feel like in the end, if this ends up being a weird mish- mishmash of styles, like, we're not going to be able to accurately judge how the movie was created on its merits because it does have two very different directors involved with it. But. I think it's going to be very similar to, like, the AI movie where Steven Spielberg directed it, but he it's basically um, a Stanley Kubrick movie. You know what I mean? I, I think I think it'll still be Zack Snyder. I think, I think it'll be all... Yeah, probably. And I know some people have pointed out that you know, Joss Whedon isn't all, you know, light-hearted uh, puppies and rainbows uh, like his Avengers movies. Um, like, he's he's gotten involved with pl- in plenty of dark stuff before. And, of course, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was kind of a combination of dark and, um, I guess, with a light-hearted touch to it. But I think that means that he can probably... Uh, very easily be faithful to Zack Snyder's vision on it, but we'll see. Yeah, it is a wait and see. Gosh, we're only a few months away from that movie coming out. I know. It seems like it was uh, never going to be coming out, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> November, I think. Yeah, November. That's my probably third or fourth most anticipated movie of the year so far. First being Blade Runner, obviously. But. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it goes Blade Runner, and then what else for you? you're going to ask me that um i had to see a list in front of me well let me ask you this instead then hmm. did you hear the rumor that uh top gun 2 has been confirmed by tom cruise yeah it's going to be called top gun colon maverick and should be released <laughs> in 2020 um i don't know how they're going is this going to involve ryan gosling at all because i can't see it not involving ryan gosling but I mean, it, I think that the the person has to get maveriked at the very end. Like they're like, "Oh man, I'm awesome now!" And then like he's like, "You nope, nope, you're not as good as Maverick." And then 
then that's that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the big thing for me is uh, having that instructor from the original movie uh, being back in this one. I wish I remembered the the actor's Tom name. Garrett. Yeah, he's got that bushy mustache. Oh, he's amazing, Viper. Oh yeah. Yeah, Viper's amazing. Top Gun is amazing. I'm just afraid that, you know, I think Tom Cruise is kind of like at a very critical point of his career um, outside of his Mission Impossible franchise. I think it's kind of like, well, I go back and do these sequels to my other popular movies. I'm like, dude, or, or you can make original ones where you actually play a unique character instead of the one that runs around in all of his movies. You know, the Mummy movie... I like the concept of what they're trying to do, and the fact that it's getting bashed, and I'm, I'm seeing it tomorrow, but um, it's still Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise stuff. And I, I haven't seen Tom Cruise challenge himself in a movie in a while. It's been at least eight, nine, ten years, something like that. So, I mean, it's like... Not even when he was hanging out of that plane in real life for the Mission Impossible movie? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that he does his own stunts. I think he's an incredibly yeah. talented um, um He's a superstar, and I, I think he's fun to watch, and I just think that um, it's unfortunate that... Yeah, to me, it just feels like he started coasting on his, uh, and you know, really relying on his uh, action abilities uh, ever since, like, 2000 or something well, like I that. Well, I agree. The Edge of Tomorrow, though, was a little bit different, um, and I like the... I mean, that's a really good sci-fi movie. I should... I should mention that I did. That was a very good movie, and they're making a sequel to that. Um, so I mean, there's still hope for Tom Cruise. I mean, I mean, it's Tom Cruise, but the fact that his movie is bombing the way it's bombing, I mean, ooh, I mean, cause I, that's like the worst thing that got. Yeah, I wouldn't chalk that up to him. I'd chalk that up to the fact that there was no demand for this monster universe in the first place. I mean, why dredge up? a whole universe of old monster movies. Well, I understand everyone loves those classic monsters, but the fact, I mean, I think we need to look at them differently instead of as their classical selves. Like, you know, the classical Dracula or classical, you know, Frankenstein. If we view them that way, they'll just get antiquated very, very quickly and bring it back the same way. It's like, well, what's the point? You know what I mean? It may modernize them you know, so that they can be, you know, they can be had fun with, with newer and younger audiences. So, um, like, even with this, they're starting this whole dark universe, and gosh, I'm not sure if they're going to do it, if the mummy's performing so badly, but um, they even have, like, a S.H.I.E.L.D.-esque type organization that oversees all of the different evil or monsters in the world, and it's supervised by Dr. Hyde. Or whatever, Doctor Jekyll. So um, it's they're trying to make their own universe just in the same like frame as uh, like you know Marvel, and it's 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 like they're trying a little too hard. It's but yeah, it's too contrived. It's too, yeah, exactly, exactly. It is. Uh, yeah, I've just never had any interest, but uh, I'll be interested to hear your your take on it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I uh, I'll try to go to open uh, mummy. I, uh, To me, the best mo- mummy movie of all time will. Always be the 1999 movie, The Mummy, with uh, Rachel Weisz and Brendan okay, Fraser. Okay, you know why, though. That's not to say anything about the sequels at all, but the first one will always be my favorite. Okay, first of all, you have a crush on Rachel Weisz, so that's bias right there. <laughs> and then two, you, the original Mummy from the 1930s, you probably haven't seen that one yet, have you? No, I mean... And I'm not saying... Yeah, th- th- those for old people. I'm not, I'm so. not justifying my position... By by just saying, oh, you need to see it because it's older. I'm saying that you probably need to see it to see where that initially came from. The fact, like, it's unfathomable to me that they're gonna remake or they have plans to remake that creature from the back of the loon. Like, why? Like, that's a classic movie that not enough people have seen, and I really wish that they would have. And I think that the Invisible Man is stupid. Like, what what are you doing, the Invisible Man? How is that scary? How? Yeah. yeah. I could swear there was another Invisible Man remake. 
recently. And I don't even remember if it made it all the way to the theater or not. They might have scrapped it. Like, this was, like, 15 years ago or something like that. But it wasn't Hollow Man, though. It wasn't Hollow Man. But whatever. <laughs> so you've been watching House of Cards. I haven't seen it yet. I have been watching House of Cards. Um, they, in this, in this season, they deal with the parallel, the, the parallels <laughs> between, um, the show and how people, how they, basically how people went about being elected and what happened with, you know, um, with our election. They drug that out a little bit and then, um, it got, they jumped the shark like crazy towards the last, I want to say, two or three episodes and to the point where I honestly, Ben, I, uh, I, I'm not that giddy about House of Cards anymore. I'm, I, I just, it's, once you see it, you'll be like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing now? Like, what's, what's the point of this? It just, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I did all, always wonder leading up to this season how they could possibly reflect what's going on in the real world right now and the way things have gotten so crazy. And so, yeah, it sounds like they might have uh, had to <laughs> go with a little bit of a mishmash of ideas that isn't necessarily working. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not to say that, that, that all of it's bad. I mean, it's still, there's still parts, I mean, definitely parts of it that are actually really great, and then it, it just, it gets outlandish just because of shock value, just because they think they need to outdo themselves instead of just telling a unique story, you know, or something that's more character-driven. So it's, it's kind of, it was kind of a letdown in that respect, and I, I do think that there's, there's flickers. Other, I mean, there's obviously, I just think that the show was definitely peaked last season, um, you know, just to put it mildly. I, I just, I mean, I mean, the first two seasons of House of Cards, in my opinion, were almost perfect. You know, I, and it's just, just, it's nowhere near that. Well, that's very unfortunate. <laughs> Tell me about Injustice 2. Okay. So, I got the game a week later than when it had come out, and... Did you get all of the extra downloadable content and well, no, Ultimate Edition and everything? I can still purchase that. Um, the Ultimate Edition is $40 extra, and it includes a bunch of new uh, uh, Premiere skins and skins. And the, the, the biggest takeaway from this game as opposed to the original is that... Um, excuse me, I'm burping. Um, that... You can customize your character, you can build up your character, you can augment your gear that you obtain by doing particular daily events, challenges, by, by just fighting you get you get new gear that's germane to the character you're playing with, or I mean you there's just so much you can do and it's a really well crafted game. And what's really different than I know the first Injustice was just all very, very dark. Like it's just your your superhero's dark. Well, in this one, like it's like they hired comic book like fans or writers to just churn up awesome lines that that are from the comic books themselves that are from uh, you know important storylines that like you know what's the, what's what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um they what Martha my, why did you say that name well I mean yeah it's something like that it's like so I mean I okay, for, you know for instance like um they'll bring up a moment when batman faced superman in the comic books or they'll bring up a moment if there's two superman <laughs> there's two supermen fighting each other that they have dialogue set for like all of the times they meet and i haven't it's hard for me to remember a time that i've heard a repeated line of dialogue because it's it's just they, they pour so much of the comic book lore and they really appreciate their fans, and I and you get that. And even though it's out outlandish and ridiculous, it's a comic book video game, and it makes it more fun the more outlandish it is. And it's I I, I and it's like I said, you, it, there's a repeat value to this game, which is something really rare with a fighting game. You don't get that with a fighting game. They yeah, that is. I, I mean, I I guess so. This is one of the reasons why I haven't bought mm -hmm. this one yet, because you know I, I got Injustice One, and I went through. I don't even remember who I played it as, but beat all the the, the levels, beat the game, mm -hmm. 
And I didn't have feel any need to go through and do it again with another character. I was just sort of done with it. But it sounds like this version may be a bit better. Well, yeah, you have that. It sounds like they worked uh, very, very hard. <laughs> Are you doing the ostrich man? Yes, it, it is well known that we have no documentation of a, a lion ever eating an ostrich. Actually, there's plenty of documentation. Do you think videos are documentation? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I will, I will add one more thing about Injustice 2, is this to say that, um, uh, you know, your battle modes or whatever it is, the multiverse is like a separate thing, and it, it has its own kind of like introductory video to it, where in, in, they'll come up with new like objectives or things you can do with particular characters. And there's different things, like you have different obstacles within the battle themselves, like you'll get fireballs thrown at you, or like, you know, you get anti-gravity levels. Like it's all, oh, wow. it's all really weird, and there's different costumes, like it's really neat. And it's, again, it's another re repeat value to the game itself. So I think by the time I get all my players built up or whatever it is, I'll get the expansion pack probably at this point. And I think it's, the game's a huge hit, so from what I understand, so I highly recommend that. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to pick it up one of these days here. That means no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. Another one I wanted to talk about that's been out a while, and I know we've both seen it, is Alien Covenant. You know, that has already been buried under all this, all these new movies, but we do need to talk about it. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I have not seen Alien 1, 2, or 3. <laughs> I've seen Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Well, even though you haven't seen the original, it's still... A it's still you're not going to be lost, per se. I do think that Covenant is a okay movie. It's probably the most mediocre Alien movie I've seen. And I, there are worse Alien movies. Please see Alien Resurrection and Alien VP... Or, yeah, Alien vs. Predator, both of those movies. Um, I'd probably say I put Alien 3 in there, too. But, you know, um, I don't know. It's like the whole movie was a detour. You, you're, they're supposed to go to a particular planet. They don't. They answer a distress call. They figure out something else. It's part of the huge plot of these aliens that we come to know in the, the original movies. And then we go to the next thing we know. We're like, oh, hey, let's all head out to the original planet we were going to in the first place. And that's the end of it. It's like a huge detour where you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's it's at the point where, like, it's like a Jason movie where, like, you know everyone's going to die. You know, it's like, it's comical. Like, no one, they, not everyone needs to die. Like, there doesn't mean only be one survivor. Like, why? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, it, it was sort of ridiculous. Like, oh, they've mapped out all these different planetary systems. They know what all these different planets feature. And the exact plot of land where they're going to build their log cabin. Oh, but here's a planet that was never on our radar. Wow, I wonder where that came from. Oh, and there are more. Huh. But you're right, it is... You know, even though I'm not into horror or these, you know, these uh, face-sucking aliens and... Face-hugging aliens, sorry. Yeah, I'm not into any of that, but I watch this movie, I'm like... <laughs> I find it funny instead of scary. And uh, it really is sort of like horror tropes in space. Yes, it really is. The only, and it's weird because it's like it's adhering to a formula that they should have let go a long time ago, yet will still try to be provocative. And, you know, the most provocative thing, in my opinion, was the Michael, was it Michael? And uh, Walter relationship and how they related Be oh david and oh walter. david and walter excuse me david being the evil robot and walter the good one. well david being the one who felt that he is his purpose is meaningless so it, it's the philosophical understanding and um stances made by both well actually just made by david because walter was basically programmed to do one particular thing is very one-dimensional and was built that way on purpose. So it's interesting yeah. to see David interact 
with Walter because by him interacting with Walter, he, you get to learn more about David. So um, I, I wish that they would have taken similar steps or, um, you know, or developed that subplot at least a little bit. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, it's just... Yeah, I agree. And I, like, you know, David is a more uh, complete robot with... Uh, greater capabilities, even though he was the first one of this kind of robot, and that he proved to be too dangerous that way. So they sort of nerfed him in the future for robots like Walter. Yes. But I agree that this was kind of the the most compelling part of the movie, and I wanted more development of it too. Like, I guess the interaction between David and Walter, but also these questions that Ridley Scott continually raises ever since Blade Runner about you know, what does it mean to be human? Uh, what does it mean to have sentient intelligence? What does it mean to be a creator? And he he teases everyone by raising these questions and exploring it at just a shallow enough depth to get you really interested in it and then just leaves it at that. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, all the movies that had made him, yeah, I mean, I, I would say Alien is like that. I would say, I would say Blade Runner is like that. But Blade Runner is an answer. I would say that is more in depth than than. Oh, this, Blade Runner is way the, more in depth, but it's it's. I will say that its its purpose is met by the film is over. You, the purpose of the movie is for you to think, and there is no. There is no finite answer because the answer is ambiguous. Like it's, that's that's why. I mean, Blade, Blade Runner was a, to me like it's a transcendent movie. Like it transcends. It's on another level, <laughs> and I, I I mean. Yeah, it's it's an awesome movie. Yes, it is. I just think that there's since he's so skilled at thinking about these things and raising them uh, in his movies as topics that. There's clearly a space for either him or somebody else to go way more in depth with it. And exactly, and that's why I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the sequel, um, should do that. I think that the director of that, um, Dennis Villanueva or whatever his name is, um, I think he he has the the chops to make that happen. Um, he's done every great movie there is so far, so I, I. I I don't really doubt his ability. He's the great robot hope. Something like that. Created by Ridley Scott. <laughs> I believe I'm a few years older than you, so... When you were a kid watching movies, and you, know, you put that VHS tape in, or the laser disc player, and there's that one movie that you just watch over and over again and wear that tape out, for you, would that have been 80s or 90s? Ooh, that that is a question, sir. I uh, it'd be it'd be it'd probably be the eighties, and I and I would say the movie that I watched the most on VHS tape was Superman two. I think I I watched that a bazillion times at my grandma's place when I was a kid, and uh, she actually had it on beta tape. Oh wow! So <laughs> I I had a neighbor once that had. Both the VHS and Beta. I know they used one machine to record from the other, mm-hmm. but they were the only people that I knew that had the the Beta setup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we we always had the VHS, and Superman Two was one that I I watched a ton of times too. That's a I guess a perfected version of the first Superman movie. And yes. What were the greatest things that you enjoyed about the you know the Superman movie that you wore out the tape? I think it was, and I I really did. I, mean, I watched it so much that there's a scene where Superman throws Zod into a Coca-Cola sign in New York City. Oh yeah. <laughs> that that scene got like tracked over, like it was just like all scrambly for like a minute, and that I could I didn't know what was going on for a minute, and then it would return back to its normal crappy value, uh, or quality of a beta tape. But um, but yeah, I. That it's just when you fought those three Kryptonians, I always thought that was so freaking cool, and I always thought because when you're a kid, you have more room for imagination. It seems like, or you you more take the time to actually think about how things can 
you know, how cool they can really be. So you didn't, the room to fill in with, um, you know, to, to not really think I can, or be so critical about, oh, well, that doesn't make sense here. That doesn't make sense here. It's like, oh, wow, he really went through that building. You know what I mean? You, it, <laughs> so I thought it was like so amazing and so epic when he fought those, those villains. I just, I always kept watching it and what Superman went through, he, he became human basically and they became Superman again. There was like, went through so much and you know, you had to fight off them and get rid of, and get Lois back and take Lex Luthor out of the picture. Like to me, it was just a lot going on and it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm sure even as a kid, you're like, yeah, that Margot Kidder dame, she's easy on the eyes. <laughs> I met her. Oh, wow. I, uh, she was. How did that come about? That was it. She was at a free comic book uh, day signing or whatever, and at Krypton. Mm, yeah, yeah, Krypton, and she was very. Um, I mean, she's super nice, but she smelled like she smoked a bunch of cigarettes. I mean, oh, she's yeah. she's older. She's and I know that she's had like kind of a crazy, like, childhood or not childhood, but a, a history in Hollywood or whatever. But I. You know, I, I still think that she's great. I Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Superman 2 is definitely one of the ones that I watch a lot, too. I, I think the one that I watched the most was probably the never-ending story. Mm. That's a great one. With Falcor and <laughs> the Oracle and the nothing. Every time, <laughs> every time there's a you know, really dark storm that comes through, I'm like, it's the nothing. What was the nothing's real name? <laughs> oh, that wolf. I I can't ever remember. Oh, it was Artax, wasn't it? No, that's the horse. Yeah, that, that's the horse. That's the horse. Oh yeah, you're right. That's the horse. Oh, the, oh the, I'll tell I, you what. The nothing has a real name, and I'm not sure if it's from the book, or if it was mentioned in the movie. And it, ugh, it drives me crazy. But um, but yeah, that movie was fantastic. I there's a lot of movie. There's a movie I compare like. I always compare that movie with Legend with Tom Cruise, and I always also compare it to Labyrinth with David Bowie. Oh, those are two great ones, too, yeah. But they came out around the same time, and, and again, those movies I watched constantly. They were always on, or I would just always venture out. I'm like, I remember being in preschool, and I was like, can we watch Legend? Because that movie's amazing. I mean, I was, I was like four or five. <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to decide whether to take my four-year-old to see Wonder Woman because, I mean, even though it has that uh, hopeful feel to it, there's also a lot of you know dark stuff with the war going on. And then I started thinking about the movies that I was watching when I was even you know five years old. I'm like, you know what? Um, we watched some pretty dark stuff when we were kids. I think she can handle Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you need to give her more credit. Yeah, I think that um, that uh, Wonder Woman would be a perfect, a perfect... And that's another thing, you know. You know, something that DC needs to acknowledge is that if you lighten up your movies, you, you get more people going to them because they're more accessible to a different demographic, right? So... Um, I think that's also a case in point with the Wonder Woman, you know, yeah. it's not, not just an event, but she's very accessible, you know? So I don't know. I mean, can you imagine a Wonder Woman being dark and drab, like uh, Batman v Superman? No, she, that's, no. She, that would be a, the complete, that'd be a horrible movie. It'd be horrible. It'd be a, dy- a dystopian movie. It would be a dystopian movie that no one would want to see. Yeah. Now, how well do you think... Superman 2 and Never Ending Story hold up today? That's a good question. I think um, if you look at it from a basis of special effects, um, I think the Never Ending Story holds up remarkably well, surprisingly well. Um, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's the type of special effects, maybe, but the look and everything that was put into that movie was so spectacular. Um, when it comes to Superman, you have a lot of the style. You have a lot of the early '80s fashion, um, which I, I do. Lo- I guess if if you grew up during that time period, at least I'm someone who who loves seeing that and being reminded of what the world felt like back then. I mean, I th- I think that the special effects for Superman two probably wouldn't 
hold up, but I, I think as a whole, it, it's it's a great blueprint that it, you know if they updated it with new special effects and uh, you know maybe altered a, a couple you know story points to make it a little bit more modern. I think it could absolutely work, and I think Wonder Woman proved that. Yeah, you know, I think I don't, th- you know, I don't give it enough credit, but the plot point of him losing his powers and humanizing him to that particular level, even by just saying I don't want my powers anymore, if it means I can be with Lois, that angle, I, I got to know more about Superman than I ever could have known about Superman in, in, in most comics. Because yeah. he, he's he's, it's it's what he's willing to do for the woman that he loves, and not just because. And, and it's not to say that it's selfish, because yeah, he's a superhero, and there's a lot of people that say that Superman makes the he, you know society weak, because we count on him too much, you know. So we prevent our own growth. In any case, I think that 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 does show a lot about the character. And yes, maybe not enough people watch Superman too because they'll view it as just outdated and outcasted. They'll say, oh, it's just Superman, it's just an 80s movie. Like, well, it's Superman and it's kind of a big deal. But I, I do think if I had to compare it to, I think Neverending Story, I think from a child's mind and what a, a child fears and what they go through when they grow up, I think that's a little bit more profound than... Um, than what Superman was dealing with in Superman 2. But I don't get me wrong, I love both movies all, you know, equally. Well, since we're on the topic of Superman, I mean, obviously, Batman as the dark, cynical hero is always going to be relevant in modern times. But I, I think too many people dismiss Superman's, uh, you know, truth, justice, and the Amer- American way. I know for all, you know, at least 20 years now, people have been so against having this earnestness and, you know, telling the truth and doing what's right. But especially in the time period that we're in right now, where our own government is waging information wars against, you know, its own populace. You know, they've they've got a guy advising the president who, and this is a fact that he admitted multiple times, uh, in interviews, the Steve Bannon, you know, he's a fervent student of uh, both Nazi and Soviet propaganda, which isn't to say that he's spewing Soviet or Nazi messages per se, but he's skilled in the arts of propaganda and getting alternative uh, messaging out there. I think... And so we, we've got this whole era right now, mm-hmm. especially... And I believe it's fueled by the internet because with the internet you can get any message out there that you want from any direction you want, whether it's Russian bots or official statements from the president or, like I said, from any direction. You know, objective truth has been um, blurred. Um, and unless you have a very discerning mind, it's, it's hard to uh, wade through it. So I, I feel like in that backdrop the message of Wonder Woman or Superman with the truth and the justice and the American way is becoming particularly relevant again. I, I totally agree. I, I think that um, I think over time people will will rise up. I do believe that. I think that we're just we're going through a very critical time right now. And, you know, I do think there is a I think it was I want to say 2003 or 2004. Anyway, there was a comic book. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's called What's Wrong with Truth, Justice, and the American Way. It's it's a one-off. I think it's a one-off comic book where Superman, I think it's Superman 875. Anyway, the premise is is that Manchester Black and his goons were basically all metahumans, and they go around, and and they're, they're heroes, but they actually kill. They go around... And it's like they'll be like, "Oh, there's bad guys here. We'll just we'll just nuke them." And they don't care about the collateral damage. They don't care about the truth. And they're very spineless individuals. They think that they can do whatever they want, and there's no consequences for any of their actions. So basically, they're the current uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes, but I I, I think what's really cool. I mean, they actually made this a comic book, uh, an animated movie. 
a couple of years back. It, it's cool how Superman reacts to dealing with someone on this level because a lot of people are, are praising them. Like, these guys get it done. Superman just, you know, he'll just throw them in jail and then they'll escape somehow or they'll get off somehow. Like, these guys actually get killed and not have to worry about them anymore. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a point that, that's made, but there's a, a line in the sand that needs to be drawn. And there's an important... Um, it's an important stance that Superman makes in that particular comic book that I think is really important um, for anyone to read. So there's my two cents. Oh, yeah. And so it feels like we need heroes, icons the, to throw up there that, you know, I guess kind of embody what we're supposed to have been uh, standing for for quite a long time. And yeah, you know, there was... Um, did you ever hear Bill Maher's... He made a stupid rant like oh, a month and a half ago. You know, I, I, I most of the time I like what what he has to say. I think it's funny and it's relevant. But I thought he was completely off base when he mentioned that um, we see superhero movies too much and we idolize them and then they basically make us dumb and we don't do do anything that you know that actually should matter. And it's like, you know, I think you're completely wrong. I think that by Reading a comic book or reading a book about a hero or going to a movie about a particular hero, you are almost idolizing a particular ideology because you're inherently good and you're almost being reemphasized of of how good you need to be because these particular heroes that you idolize are being put through difficult situations where they have to end up making a choice. And the, and the good movies, the good superhero movies will revel in that and make the viewer question that in themselves oh yeah and in some ways at least some of them have become our own modern folklore and you know fables and you know able to teach a lesson through a story yeah yes indeed yes indeed didn't mean to cut that abruptly short there but we kind of went off on a long tangent after that that wasn't (laughs) necessarily worth listening to but you know since we were talking a couple 80s movies towards the end there you know one of the things that i really miss about the 80s besides the feeling of being a kid without responsibility bills or worry is fully experiencing the real world without an electronic interface. I mean, lately it just feels like I wasn't made for the digital world, uh, you know, to have my mind constantly tethered to an electronic device. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that there's so much information available to us at all times, and the fact that you can pay your bills online and look up all sorts of different things, and you get, you know, map quests and Apple Maps telling you where to go on the road. But it just gets to be too much sometimes, you know, and I know a lot of that's on the individual user, you know, the the internet and electronic devices, smartphones are a tool, and you gotta be a little bit careful to not get sucked into them too much, and it just feels sometimes like it's a little too easy to get too sucked into having your face in that electronic device all the time, and so it feels like back in the 80s, it was easier to focus on different things that didn't involve information on the internet let your mind wander a little more and be maybe a little more creative and uh, focus on uh, what's going on in the real world a little bit better but lately i've really been enjoying the times when i've been able to put that smartphone down for hours and hours at a time get out there to the beach um, get out there uh, to a, a big park where you get to go uh, walking on some trails and see a bunch of animals. I was at the Kensington Metro Park in uh, the Metro Detroit area over the weekend for Father's Day, and the amount of wildlife that we were able to see was pretty awesome. Though I'll also say, man, people gotta stop feeding the animals that are there, the raccoons and the cranes. I was trying to take some pictures of a crow, and out of, out of nowhere comes this furry little raccoon, and uh, I'm taking a photo of it, and it just starts coming closer to me and so i back away it goes down towards the water for a little bit so i'm uh photographing it down there but then it goes along the water's edge and comes back up on uh, the bridge that i'm on from the opposite direction and it starts chasing me and my family and so it also looked a little bit uh like it could have been disoriented so two things could have been happening that raccoon either could have been so used to getting food from humans uh that it just did not have any fear of humans and it was chasing us 
or it was actually a rabbit raccoon because those are some of the signs of an animal with rabies. Unfortunately, we were able to ditch it and be on our way. But one animal that we had a close encounter with that didn't have rabies but was clearly too used to getting food from humans or something uh, was on the trail. Uh, we encountered a, a crane, and I was taking some pictures of that, obviously. But it's just standing there and walking along in the middle of the path where uh, people are going. My wife had to deftly usher uh, my child past the crane so that it uh, didn't take too much interest in her. But when I tried to go by the crane, um, man, I stopped in my tracks because it looked like it was about to attack me. I've been bitten by geese before, and geese, when they bite, it doesn't really hurt. It just startles you a little bit. But this crane has this huge, very pointy beak, so I'm like, is this guy going to impale me? So he makes a move towards me, and this is like he's a foot away from me, freezing my tracks, and we just kind of have a standoff, and I, you know, just relaxed a bunch, made sure that he knew that I wasn't any sort of threat, and as soon as he blinked for a second, I was uh, sneakily on my way past him. But again, the moral of the story is, don't feed the dang animals at the Metro Park or the state park, or the national park, or wherever you are. But anyway, those make for some mildly interesting anecdotes. Um, you know, just a small blip on an overall great day out in nature. 10 out of 10, would nature it up again? And I don't know how many Bigfoot sightings have been in Michigan. Probably mostly in northern Michigan. But uh, if I'm ever out there with my digital Nikon, nice big zoom lens, if I ever see a Bigfoot out there, I'm going to get a nice crystal clear picture for everyone. It's not going to be any of that fuzzy, is it, is it not a Bigfoot bullshit? No, I'm going to get you that crystal clear picture of a Bigfoot. <laughs> At any rate, I hope everybody uh, has had a, a great June so far, not too far off from the 4th of July. If you're hoping to go camping over the 4th of July or anything like that, make sure you get your permits or anything else you need taken care of right now. And if you're someone who sets off fireworks, I absolutely love it. We all love it. But also try to keep in mind that there are also dogs and other animals out there who really have serious anxiety, panic attacks when the fireworks go off. So to the extent possible, keep them to, you know, some, some of the main times when they're going off, not just set them off at all hours of the night. As we all know, it's a free conch, and that's why we celebrate. That's it for episode 6 of the Robot Dinner Party. You can hit me up on Twitter at RobotDinnerPod by email RobotDinnerParty at gmail.com Please subscribe and rate on iTunes, but only if you like it. For Robot Dinner Party and the New Pod World Order Podcast Network, I'm Ben saying thanks for listening, and keep those circuits lubed.